We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the Doomwatch episode, Train and Detrain, which I'm sure is about science fiction high-speed trains and the problems that are going to come about from that advance in technology. Let's find out, shall we? In a forest in Sussex, the animals are dead, and John Ridge is investigating them. Meanwhile, Toby Wren is put on the job of finding out if there are any new pesticides that have been released by British companies. At a British pesticide company, Chief Chemist Ellis is being given some unusual hints. His parking spot is removed. He gets a new secretary without warning. They remove the carpet from his office. His phone disappears, and the head of the company is avoiding talking to him. Whatever could it mean? When Toby Wren visits the company, he overhears what they're doing to Chief Chemist Ellis. It seems that they're trying to give him a hint that they want him to leave. Instead, since he has a contract, they transfer him to a new job, a lesser job. This doesn't sit well with Toby. Ellis happens to be his former tutor at Cambridge, a man that he has great respect and fondness for. This also means that Toby takes an instant dislike to the head of the chemical company, Mr. Mitchell. Mitchell doesn't really want to cooperate with him, and he delays turning over samples of their new chemical until after they've already started shipping it. Quist is out of the country, so John Ridge is in charge. Ridge hatches a plan to smuggle Toby into the facility and have him obtain a sample of the chemical surreptitiously. They do this, however, Toby is caught. Toby gives the head of the company a piece of his mind about the way they're treating Ellis, and the head of the company uses a tape recorder to capture Toby's rant. Mitchell then uses the tape to try to leverage Quist, who's now back in the country, into not investigating his pesticide. Quist has no choice but to fire Wren. However, Quist knows that because Mitchell tried to leverage him with the tape, he does have something to hide. Ellis dies. Suicide. Later, both Wren and Mitchell receive copies of Ellis's suicide note. While Mitchell destroys his copy, Wren uses it to confront him, forces him to admit that he forced Ellis to perform unauthorized tests that Ellis had objected to. Mitchell is forced to cooperate, and he gives back the tape to Wren. There is justice in the world, as soon after, Mitchell loses his parking spot and isn't invited to important meetings. The D-Train leaves at noon. <clears throat> you know, when we watched this episode, or when I watched this episode, I, I suddenly remembered what it was that had happened when we were watching Doomwatch before, and I thought, eh, maybe, maybe, eh, we, won't, we won't go all the way through with this. And that was, there's not a whole lot of sci-fi in this. Thank mm. you for saying that. Uh, in fact, I actually found this episode to be rather boring. It, it, was, uh, it, it was just bureaucratic nonsense. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> and so this may be a short one. I, I don't know. You know, obviously, we're still in the range of what Doomwatch is doing. And I suppose that, you know, episode after episode after episode, it could just be company comes out with new chemical, company does some dodgy uh, testing, company wants to get the chemical out and not be bothered by uh, regulators, and... Doomwatch saves the day um, over and, and over and again. And I, I don't think it is, but that, that made that, that bit of his plot was very just ordinary sort of government procedural sort of mm -hmm. um, 
TV. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think really, if you tried to put yourself in 1972, it was any different then. It's like, ooh, big chemical, you know, maybe, maybe that was a lot fresher in the mind of the public. I mean, now we just automatically assume that all companies do this. Maybe in the 1970s, early 70s, maybe we weren't as jaded. And maybe this was, you know, ooh, would they do that? Ooh, how terrible. This is a doomsday scenario. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I didn't get it. <clears throat> So I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't feel it at all. Yeah. So what I found very interesting was that to me, it seemed like, what would you guess? 80% of the episode had to do with a pesticide. Well, if we're going to get into uh, the plot, con- you know, the, the plot element itself, then yeah, it has to do with the, uh, the pest uh, pesticide. But really, I thought this, this really felt more like just a character study of Toby. Yes, I think there's a lot of that. But what I thought was interesting was the name of the episode, Train, Train and D-Train. Yeah, it's about the very 20% deceiving. Of the, it's about the 20% of the non-main plot. Mm-hmm. It's, about the, it's about how they treat the old chemist. And I, I, I have and, this... and to be honest, I, I actually thought it was going to have something to do with trains. I really did. You know, I, the way you described in your synopsis, because I hadn't, obviously I've never seen this before. Yeah, me neither. So I had so I had no idea what to expect. I hadn't even read the synopsis. So I literally went into this thinking that this got something to do, you know, much like the last episode has something to do with uh, this, this this engine that was mm. creating uh, uh, havoc, wrecking havoc with... The red... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought, oh, we're going to have something like that. Now we've got this train that either through its power source or it, maybe its, its waste... You know, waste exhaust. Atomic coast-to-coast train. Atomic train. Yeah, something like that. Where have I heard that idea before? I haven't, yeah, can't imagine. I honestly thought that that's what we were going to be dealing with. And when I saw how the phrase train and and D-train was used in this episode, I thought, oh, okay, that's clever. Should I be impressed or not? I haven't decided yet. Yeah, and of course, it's never a term I've heard before. Uh, not used in that respect. No, obviously train, yes, but D train? No. I've never heard I've never heard that phrase used before. I'm just accepting it on face value that that's what, you know, that's what it means maybe over across the pond. And of course they're implying that that's what it means across the pond on this side. That that's what the mm-hmm. Americans do. That is true. So I I don't know. I I did a little well, bit Well, I don't think I don't think it's a question of the the phrase. I think it's a que- I think it's more a matter of the policy mm-hmm. about busting people down yeah yeah but not not the phrase i think the phrase sounds uniquely british but you know that i could be way wrong yeah i know we'd come up with something much more uh a lot more syllables honestly you know i mean it's like elevator versus lift I mean, yeah we like those we like those complexicated sounds and stuff mm-hmm. um yeah you know the the premise of doom watch is always painted as being you know a, a cautionary tale about the progress quote unquote progress and what we're willing to do for it and go and you could look at this and say we're talking about the pesticides but we're not this episode is talking about the influence of american ideas on the british way of life Mm. this british this american company has come in and bought this uh pesticide company they've instituted these new management techniques they've put pressure on them to perform and so they're having to behave in a criminal fashion to keep up with their american masters expectations 
with with the tests and getting information out and then also with the uh with the treatment of elderly workers and uh, a, a topic that you and I, uh, looking at this episode, can say, huh, yeah, we're in that, we're in that age. Uh, oh, that's true. And, and I, I will agree that uh, that topic, or at least that, that uh, particular store point, that bullet point of the episode, did resonate within me for that very reason. So I did a little research. Very little research. But I did a little research. Um, the uh, Age Discrimination Act, Oh, sorry. The Age Discrimination in Employment Act of 1967 in the United States. Now, this is an act that prohibited some form of discrimination for workers over the age of 40. And I think it's interesting that they actually mentioned that age in this episode. Thinking, America, age 40, you'd be out of here. So I, I, I wish we had somebody who was, well, heck, we're not old enough, right? I mean, we're old enough now, but... In 1970, oh, clearly not at that time. You know, no, we, we would have you and I would have no concept of the idea of how older workers in the United States were treated. No, of course not. And and we would also have no idea how older workers were being treated in the UK. Maybe no, definitely not. Maybe they didn't do that to them. Maybe they weren't complete jerks to them and say no, young youth. I mean, that is kind of a that is kind of an American stereotype in british stuff about how we we covet youth and how we uh you know turn over things new whereas britain is old and stayed and and so you get you get people like uh captain peacock uh, in are you being served and whatnot where that you know you just rise up through the ranks and you just keep getting older and older and seniority counts for something mm. whereas in the united states it's like, get them out of here. New, fresh ideas. Chuck them out on the bin. So I'm wondering if if this is truly in response to an actual influx at that time of that American attitude. It's possible. I think by that point, we were definitely, you know, our American corporate interests were definitely going across the ocean at that particular time. So it's very possible that maybe there was some kind of an influence uh, being felt over in the UK, and it became uh, it, it became a talking point. Yeah. So that that be, that if that was the the bugbear that the author wanted to expose, because Doom Watch is a show about exposing the dangers of progress. Call it progress, but change. And usually that yeah, and usually that's in some sort of a science fiction element, and now it's more of a social one. They push social, and so what they had to do was they had to go. Well, how would Doomwatch get involved with this? We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to frame a story that would that would get them involved for some way. And so that's why the the whole chemical story seems so periphery in this, even though it dominates the entire thing. And and I think that makes this. I want to say an unsuccessful episode. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if I were if I were living at that time and I was over the age of 40, I would watch this and I would have concerns, you know? Mm, I, yeah, I would be yeah like, I suppose back then. It, it would make yeah. me think. Um, I'm sure it would. Uh, you know, older workers still, to this day, have discrimination against them, even though there's, you know, multiple more laws against discrimination that have come on the books. Since but it then, still exists. It still absolutely exists. Yes, um, of course. You know, if, if I... I couldn't go out and get a job, another job in in IT. I don't think you know at, at with with thirty plus 
years of high level experience you know it, it oh just, i understand it, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen i, I mean i've been working i've been working no happen. i've been working in healthcare for god knows how many years same thing with keith and at our age if we were to successfully find another job it would be at a fraction of what we're making now yeah and they would obviously want to hire younger people of course because they pay less <laughs> precisely um so i mean it's it's i wonder if it's I, I, is it the age or is it the pay i mean okay it could be both but i think it's both you know i, th- I think you know it, it depends on on circumstances i mean i lost out on a, on a possible promotion earlier this year within my company because of my salary of where i'm at right now they had uh, one position open, and instead they hired somebody from off the street. And when and I found out it was because they could start that person off at a much lower rate than you know promoting me up because I've been with the company for oh good grief uh, I, I was hired two thousand five here you know and then it was that was two thousand eighteen so I've been with the company for thirteen years so my salary is pretty good mm-hmm. and if I had gotten that job they would have had to increase it. However, keeping me where I'm at and bringing somebody fresh off the street allows them to save money and there's there's something to be said for and i'm i'm trying to be fair on both sides of this issue um i'm set in my ways i know it mm-hmm. i i i you, flexibility you can, yeah you teachability can, you can look at this you can look at this two ways i have a a ton of practical experience i've seen things go wrong more ways than you can imagine so when i see a project I immediately eliminate so many avenues that you might explore because, yeah, I've seen that fail before. Mm-hmm. And, and and a younger person uh, with less experience could come in, less practical experience, could come in and, and go, well, let's give that a try. And they might make it work because, you know, no ideas. Well, there are ideas that are completely unworkable, but I agree. You know, you're going to follow the path of least resistance. And so, uh, you know, I don't I'm not trying to say stuck in my ways in a negative way but but and i think we see that in ellis here he wants to do it the right way he wants to mm-hmm. do it the correct way the way that he knows is right the way that he, do, he, he doesn't want to take yeah he doesn't want to take shortcuts and the situation the management demands that he take shortcuts right so uh and and, and would the younger guy in his office would he be willing to do what the boss told him even if he knew it was wrong i get the feeling he would but he struck me as, you know, uh, a youthful opportunist who may, and maybe it's because he does have that lack of experience that he hasn't built up all these, um, I, I don't want to call them safeguards, but this, this, this sense of proper procedure. Because that usually comes about when you've been doing the job for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's also, um, there's less fear. When you're new on a job, you get the fear. Yeah. I, I don't know I don't know how I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing work that's adequate to the to the task. I don't know if they like me, even if they give me good reviews. Really there's always that doubt. After A little bit of paranoia, years, yeah. You you get the feeling it's like, no, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. They know I know what I'm doing. And if and, you've been and if you've been promoted, you know, especially when you're kind of young and you get promoted up or brought into a position of some sort of respectability, uh, if the boss tells you to jump, you're not only going to say how high, but you're going to then follow up with, "And when may I come down, sir?" Yep. And after a period of time, and I know I've done it, they tell you something. You ask questions. Oh yeah, yeah. I've like, reached that point too so in my own job. What about this? 
Uh huh. Yep. Yeah, I've done that, and I think and I and I think you're right. That that's a very good point as far as this episode goes. That we're now seeing that little morality play um, at work here. So I mean, there are interesting ideas in the story. They're just not necessarily science fiction ideas. And and no, it's more uh, for a, just a standard old drama. Yeah, but I guess that's the the flexibility of this framework. I mean, I'm I'm hoping to see more anthropomorphic rats in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely hoping I see more anthropomorphic rats in the trip, but um, today we just didn't uh, we didn't get that. Um, so I got a few notes. Tried to come up with some stuff that uh, just wanted to put out there. Um, starting with in big print, the hilarious dead squirrel. Oh yeah, it looked like a cardboard <laughs> cutout at first. <laughs> I was like, wow, could that be any more? I mean, oh yeah, now the yeah the the animals are dying and they're being petrified at the same time. Yeah, that that part instant rigor mortis. That part was kind of weird because I think that there's your science fiction was a stuffed squirrel holding a nut, right? Yeah. So he actually died and froze froze in spot eating a nut, and then when the kid goes up, it like falls out like a brick. Plop. <laughs> like I thought that was going to be the cool part. Like this is going to be some cool science fiction killer that freezes you in in situ, and then it's like yeah. Oh, there's going to be dead people in a cottage somewhere. But no, right? We get the dead animals out of the way and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about it being a character study for Toby Wren. Mm-hmm. Now, Toby is the youngest member of the team. At least he's the youngest, the newest member of the right. team. Which is also kind of interesting um, now that we think about it. Since this is talking about people who've been on the job a long time. Um, there's a scene where he comes in at the very beginning, Ridge is looking at bags of dead animals, and Toby comes in, talks to Bradley, and he says, it's got to be a new pesticide. And Bradley's mm-hmm. like, well, I prefer to wait until we get the evidence. All right, there's, there is the difference between young and brash. Yeah. And, and now, yeah, we methodical. see it the other way around now. And we see what's wrong with, frankly, Toby's wrong. I mean, he's right, but he's wrong. He's not right in the way that he thinks he is. Yeah. Um... And Bradley is correct that we should collect the evidence and continue on. Mm-hmm. That's the methodological way. Um, let's talk about the technique that the chemical company used to try to get rid of Ellis. Oh, the, intimidation of sorts. Yeah. They removed the carpet in his office. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. They changed his secretary without any warning. Mm-hmm. They removed his phone. They reassigned his parking spot without telling him. This I thought was interesting. Now, I would point out that the first thought, I I had two thoughts that ran through my head almost simultaneously. The first thought that ran through my head was it, I I got the feeling that they were trying to discourage him to the point of saying, I'm out of here. Yes. The second thought that followed up almost immediately was, I have never heard of this technique before. Not to this extreme. Not, not, not that this, this is, is no. I haven't heard of anything like this. Not like this. I mean, I, I, you know, you can, you can do, you can give them really cruddy jobs, and you can uh, assign work to them that they don't want to do, and they, uh, and it's beneath them, or it's like that. But yeah, I've never heard anything like this. I almost thought, in my, hey, this has got to be science fiction. I almost thought that maybe everyone had forgotten. Yeah, I will admit, okay, thank you. That it was like a parallel universe thing. That was a third thought that did come in at some point later on. And I think that happened with the the phone. When he goes in there and notices that his phone is gone and he goes out to complain and it's like, and I thought, uh, is 
I will admit, at one point I thought parallel universe, and then I completely threw that out because then I realized how would that even fit into this? Yeah, you've got a pesticide that's creating dimensional portals, of course. Uh, but then I thought, well, maybe it's making everybody forget. That I thought might work, but darn no. Yeah. Um, except, that, you know, the guy should have, if that had been the case, then the guy that was in his spot wouldn't have known him. But. Yeah, I was like, this is weird. Okay. Yeah, I would be, of all the things that they did, right? If they took my, um, if they took my carpet, thinking about my office that I used to have, if they took my carpet, I'd be like, why did you take my carpet? But I don't care. I don't spend a lot of time on the carpet. You know, some days at lunch, perhaps I'd lie down on the floor and turn the lights off in my office and, and relax. Yeah, carpet did did seem like a, a really ridiculously trivial thing. It costs money to send someone in and remove And rip carpet, it up. Yeah. Right? Um, they took his phone away. If someone had come into my office and taken my phone away, I'd have done a dance. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, okay, happy days. I can send email. Of course, they didn't have that option, but... Mm. but uh, but, you know, he has a secretary out there. Even if it's not the same secretary, he's got a secretary. Call him up and tell him that they can't run this experiment or whatever it happens to be. So I, I'd have been happy as a clam. Later on in the episode, his wall disappears. His whole cubicle, yeah. Or, Think or about parti- the wall, cost. Yeah. Think about the cost of having a crew come in to remove his wall just to give him the hint that we don't want you here. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they figured out how to do this. I think the British have not quite got the hang of how to to screw over one of your employees and get them to leave. Well, they haven't fully embraced all of Western culture. I mean, they still do the worst Western movies imaginable. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. But I just don't think this is a cost-effective technique to get rid no. of the guy. Um, we've already talked about the age 40 in the United States, so I think it's interesting that they mentioned that, that 40 was the age. Apparently, uh, I... Wow. You know, I look back on when I was 40, mm-hmm. and I think I was still in my game at 40. Oh, I was definitely in mine still. You know, but we, we, something else you need to consider, though, and I know that a lot of people, you know, they kind of say, you know, rather glibly about, you know, you know, 50, you know, 60 is the new 50, you know, things like that, you know, uh, how with each successive generation or with today's generation, um, you can have a better quality of life, even though you're older than, you know, the previous generation. Um, and yeah, there there is a lot of gl- uh, glib use with that, but I think that there is some truth. Uh, I mean, obviously, y- you had it. I definitely had it in my life. Uh, when I was in my forties, I was extremely productive. In fact, I was you know th- that was among uh, probably my most productive. Yeah, I think. I th- well, you know, there's a there's um there's a distinction. So I can say when I was in my 20s, <clears throat> single, mm-hmm. uh, at the time I was working for an insurance company. I was, uh, I was a coder at that point. I was the manager of the IT systems, but I was all primarily a coder. And I worked 18 hours a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I did something. Seven days a week. I did something similar to that. Um, uh, back, you know, in, in my early 40s, uh, I was, oh, let me see. Actually, no, no, more like my... Oh, very, very late 30s, extremely late 30s. I was doing 12 hours a day 
um, no, 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 I take that back. I was doing 14 hours a day, Monday through Thursday. And on, um, oh shoot, uh, something ridiculous, like 18 hours on Friday. And I did that for three and a half months. And I, I had all the energy in the world. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of Dr. Pepper out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Cheetos. <laughs> I fueled on, on Cheetos and Dr. Pepper. I know, that's a, I know that's a programmer stereotype, but I absolutely just, I was at the keyboard all the time, fingers flying, mm-hmm. typing away, working at the code. But I know for a fact that whereas I could crank out far more lines of code when I was 20 and... You know, I, what was the point of going home, right? I mean, I had everything I would do at home. If I went home, I'd just be on the computer programming. So uh, work on it. I wasn't getting paid for overtime. I was I was just Yeah, nothing dedicated. better to do. I was yeah. just dedicated and, and stupid. And as you get older, you realize it ain't worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it. You pay me for eight hours a day, I'll be here eight hours a day. And I know that's... That sounds like you're being lazy, but it's not. It's it's the reality of it. They're paying you for eight hours a day, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't be giving them freebies. And, of course, that attitude leads to them wanting to get rid of you. If I can find somebody young and stupid who will work 18 hours a day for the same money, why should I pay somebody who's... But I was far more effective. I had far more experience. I had far more... Uh, ability to see a problem that I'd seen before and uh, and and crush it mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like you're more effective when when somebody sees you typing continuously for 18 hours or they see you thinking for four and typing for four mm-hmm. oh well in my case management loved it um, yeah I was making overtime but they loved the dedication so I I got uh, promoted really fast after that Oh yeah, and I so it I, worked for me. You know, I I think I hate to mention the guy because he's such a jerk, but the Dilbert principle I think holds. You will be promoted until you reach the point where you are no longer uh, uh, competent, and then oh, promoted to <laughs> uh, promoted to the level of your incompetence. Yep, yep. I'm... Yeah, that's that's a yeah, that's actually um, a Mark Twain uh, quote, I, I can... think, or something to that effect. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I I I. I... I believe it. I've seen it in a lot of places. Oh, I've seen it too. I've seen it where I work. I'd like. I'd like to think it didn't happen to me. <laughs> um, I got promoted to the point where I was at the end of the career path for mm. you know because if you're an IT, there is no path to management. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can be an IT management, but there's no path to you know the management of the business because the business is about something else. It's not about computers. It's not your area. So I don't know. Anyway. Um, a deviation there, but I think I, I genuinely think that this episode raised a lot of interesting ideas. I didn't think it was a particularly interesting episode. If, you, if, you, if you're looking for uh, a very deep and thoughtful episode, which admittedly some science fiction or speculative fiction is very good at doing, um, yeah, this is this did it. Uh, but Doom Patrol has been, you know. For the most part, a rather well, it it, it has had some morality um, that was stretched to to the point of transparency uh, through science fiction. But if you were looking for science fiction entertainment, this was not the episode for it. No, no. And I think Doom Watch 
is at its core, it's it's a morality play. Oh yeah, it is. It it, it, know, it, it is. It's, it's all about it's all about Mary Shelley and not and and thinking about the consequences of your actions. Crashing airplanes by turning rubber into goop. Actually, I think that's a terrible one. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed that episode, but I think that's a terrible example. That's, that is an incredibly good idea that should be absolutely pursued, right? This is Oh, I agree. You, you are not going to convince me that that was a bad idea. The only thing that you can convince me of is that they really, really needed to be grade A strict in their quarantine. Mm-hmm. And their work and and what they developed needed to be not so virulent, you know. But the, but the Project the, the Sahara purpose. episode where they were collecting all the data on people, which was very prescient uh, in the computers for the government databases, uh, that one's about the morality of of what you can do with technology. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely fair, even though it's it's dated by today's standards. Um, that's uh a worthy topic to come up and say what about this uh, you know look look at the people who are are what are they called uh bioethicists mm. the the, yeah. the people who are looking at you know what are the implications of being able to edit genes in unborn children you know there's 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 eliminate genetic defects mm-hmm. how, how can you argue against that that's how can t- you say yeah. that that's a bad thing Especially but, if you're looking at, you know, eliminating Down syndrome or, or any other uh, congenital birth defect that could come. Of course, manipulating uh, the, the genetics but is, pre-birth. But is stupid you know, is, a congenital it, it, defect? No. <laughs> I, to, to fix it, to, I mean, to, to fix it is, is a great thing. Well, no, I mean, the quality of being stupid is the oh, quality, quality of st- stupid in a genetic defect. I mean, if you knew the child was going to have the stupid gene... There is mm. a stupid gene. Fixing that, improving that, and and then there's the question of well, if you did, I, I'm I'm grossly oversimplifying this, um, but let's say you could. There's a there's a gene that you can express, and if you express it at, at one level, you get a stupid person. If you express it at another level, you get an average person, and if you express it at a, a, a higher level, you get a, a an uber genius. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you look at it and go, oh, I see that your child's going to be 40% uh, uh, lower than the average. So, you know, there's there's two options. We could fix that or he might grow up to be president of the United States because apparently that's what it takes these days. Um, but I um, and then, you know, if I had an average child, would you be tempted to tweak it? Well, yeah, I could. I, I would see that. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I, I absolutely would be tempted to tweak it. I, and and I feel guilty about that. I feel guilty about it. And I don't know why I feel guilty about it. Because, um, you know, I, I, I guess maybe you might, and I put this to you, you might say, well, you know, God's got a plan. But I don't fall in that camp. There is no plan. So why wouldn't you make the kid the best of the best? Six foot eight. Well, that's ripped, the really evangelical. Yeah, that that's the evangelical argument, and I won't even no. I, I yeah, won't yeah. Even I mean, not, not 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 trying to 
not not trying to pigeonhole you and say you're an evangelical. I didn't. I didn't no, mean in fact, it that actually, way, I, no, no. I know what you're saying. In fact, I'd actually take the opposite tack on that and say, well, okay. I mean, if we're if we're going to go down that road, I say something to the effect of, um, well, uh, you know, God also created science. And we're using science to improve the quality of life. So, therefore, God created the improve, you know, improve the quality of life. You know, you know, and but then, that's just me. And then, and this is this part even sucks more, right? First, you have the ethical question of whether or not you should make your kids smarter. Let's say you should. Then you have the economic issue. Who's going to be able to afford to do that? The that's when, yeah. Well, and we've had science fiction movies that have touched on that point. Would that would that spread the gap? Even further, would you would you create eventually, the Eloy and yeah. the Morlocks? You know, <laughs> eventually, you know, eventually would. I mean, it's it's been we've seen it in Star Trek episodes. Uh, there was a, a, a movie you know, 15, 20 years ago that that dealt with that, and it, it's a, another another telling of the haves and have-nots. So yeah, yeah, far cry from this episode, but but nonetheless, it brings up those ideas to me, and that's I I think. I think sometimes the best television does that, even if I just didn't really care for the episode, and that's that's really kind of kind of funny. Mm. Um, let's see, I we can't we can't pass by without mentioning the fact that Mr. Mitchell receives Ellis's suicide note, and if the man had had a mustache, he would have twirled, have twirled it at that moment because he lit his cigar with it. Yeah, and smirked. What? He laughed at it. Ha- could, could Has you be... anyone ever done that in real life? I mean, I, I mean, somebody take a note. And like, it well, was I'm so cliche. I'm light my cigar. A suicide note. I mean, they they really reduce Mitchell into just a caricature by doing that. It was so beyond the pale. But I mean, if to to what end? I mean, what were they trying to tell us by doing such a thing? Yeah, I mean, if he because just... that was. It was, it was too far. I mean, if they just wanted to let him, you know, or, or just convey that Mitchell didn't care or, you know, just it was like, you know, you know, good riddance to bad rubbish kind of thing. You know, there are so many other things he could have done. He could have just torn it up and thrown it into the garbage. He could have just burned it. Yeah. Uh, you but know, to, but, fine. If he reached over and burned it and tossed it in the garbage can, it's like, I'm getting rid of the evidence uh, that this ever came in. I'm covering up. I don't think. But by lighting his cigar with it, he's, yeah. he's sort of, he's sort of making a metaphor that my success because for some stupid reasons cigars are seen as a sign of of success in in television and movies and and society Mm -hmm. you know fat cats are the ones that smoke cigars um when i think it's just stinky people smoke cigars um but it's it's it all, the road to my success is paved over the dead torture and misery of this poor man that I drove to death, mm. and he can't make any other conclusion than he drove him to die. So yeah, Mitchell is quite a piece of work. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't I I didn't particularly like that. What I did think was poorly done in the story if that wasn't considered poorly done at the end mitchell comes in and the chemist dude has his parking spot Mm -hmm. now first off i i mean maybe i think there was a there was a sort of hierarchy at my work where the director got the first spot because i guess they're too lazy to walk as far i I, i'm guessing that's what it is oh yeah the closer to the door than the 
the the more important you are and so you know but but the other guy just got a parking spot he doesn't need he doesn't need the head guy's parking spot right but think about it he was a junior chemist at the beginning of this episode he got promoted to senior chemist presumably not on his merit but on the fact that he was there and they wanted to bump ellis out and now he's looks like he's being promoted to mitchell's job at the end of this is he even qualified for mitchell's job probably not i don't think mitchell's a chemist right i mean he's management type right it's it's just like i was saying you know in my work you you get if if i were a chemist chief chemist is as far as you're going to go in that company you're you're not going to move over into finance you're not going to move over into uh the legal department you're not going to move over into upper management that's people whose job it is to run a company and and you know drive a business and make contracts and deals and get supply chains working and not a not a head chemist uh, and mm-hmm. it's a mistake. And th- and there is the Dilbert principle in action. If you did promote the chief chemist to be the CIO or whatever, or CEO of the corporation, you would have promoted him into a position he's not qualified for. You would hit his point of incompetence at that point. You're so, right. But that's something that we, you know. It's definitely what is they that imply another, is in this that, episode. Yeah, but is that another indictment against the American business model? I think a lot of this is an indictment against the American business model. Because doing the test surreptitiously seems to be something that the Americans expected them to do. Stonewalling the regulatory agency seems to be something that their Americans want them to do. Uh, or at least it's Mitchell's interpretation of what the Americans want them to do. Mm. So, um, yeah, this, this, is, this is a very anti-American show, I, 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 I think. Um, and, and I would... You know, would you, could you even do this episode now? I mean, obviously the whole pesticide killing thing, sure, we're still doing that. Is, it, is, is this the way age discrimination works now? I hope mm. not. I hope not, no. I hope not. Anyway, um, uh, that's all I got. I don't have anything else. That's all I got. So, I mean, that, that does kind of, that does kind of make it uh, uh, short. But then, hey, we're not beholden. <laughs> we can make these as short as we want to. <laughs> Um, I don't know what the next episode of uh, Doomwatch is off the top of my head. Um, so you'll just have to, listeners, you'll just have to look at the list of episodes that are uh, out there and and look it up and find out for next time. Uh, but uh, we are going to, we are at the very least, we're going to clear out through series one of, of Doomwatch and then... Eh, who knows? I don't know. It's going to depend on how it goes. I mean, if they're all not science fiction, we might might say. Eh. Ah, it is. Um, the episode is "You Killed Toby Wren." That's the next one. I thought there was the uh, the battery people. Well, that's what's showing up on April one. Actually, maybe did I go too far? I think there's. I think there's one called the battery people. Oh, you're right. Yes, the battery people. That is next. See, that sounds like people who've been fitted with with electronic prostheses and now they've been turned into killing machines so we're we're gonna find out <laughs> my prediction is right oh the doom uh yeah doom watch version of a cyberman yeah we're cybernaut british definitely cybernauts i think so uh and remember jerry davis and kit peddler who are the uh the, the force behind this show are of course the people who created the cybermen so that is true that this is their milieu 
Well, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, sure thing. And I'm going to go rest my old bones in front of the fire and, and think about the old days when, uh, when I was young and dynamic. And, and, <laughs> and listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Well, cheers, you young snappers. <laughs> You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.